A reading from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he has chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The word of the Lord. This is the Achilles heel of the whole New Testament story here, the ascension. As we just read, this is the last time anyone on earth sees Jesus, the embodied Jesus on this earth. The ascension is Jesus's Achilles heel, and not just because the last part of Jesus the disciples see is his heel. No, the ascension is the Achilles heel of the Jesus story because it really is the weak spot in the theology of this Jesus story. Because it is the weak spot. It is, this is the loose thread in our belief system that you could pull on and the whole thing would come apart, unravel. I don't even get how it is through all of church history that no one mentions this problem with the ascension. It isn't, it isn't even seen as problematic. It's celebrated, as a matter of fact. I mean, this, the ascension is an official feast day of the church. It's like one of the top theological touchstones. You know, it's in all your better creeds. Jesus, born of a virgin, crucified, died, and rose from the dead and on the third day, and then he ascended into heaven and will come again. Wasn't the whole idea that Jesus is coming into the world to reconcile the world, to restore it to shalom, that state of peace with justice, that Jesus was coming into the world to reconcile us to God and to each other? People are not reconciled. Peace with justice does not reign now and did not clearly then when Jesus walked the earth. I mean, 30-something years after Jesus leaves, after Jesus ascends to heaven, the Roman Empire completely destroys Jerusalem and effectively wipes out Israel as a nation. So why are we celebrating the ascension? Why is this such a good thing? 
Jesus left. The Messiah left. Sure, he promised to return. But, you know, they always say that, don't they? You know, he still left. This is like some deadbeat dad kind of action, you know? He left, he's coming back. Don't worry, it's going to be really special when he does, you know? Yeah, I mean, he probably, you know, he probably did it because he got it from his dad. God, the so-called father, hung around a little bit after creation, you know, but then when it was, I guess, still new and interesting. But then God leaves. And it seems like maybe he came back a couple times after that. Last seen, perhaps, as a bush. But, you know, nothing after that. Like, almost never. Do you know how long it took God after that to finally come back, to actually set foot on earth, to incarnate, you know, incarnate from the Spanish, to become meat, to be fully material pre materially present in a torta or on a taco burrito, whatever you want, crispy, soft? 5,000 years. 5,000 years. Now, that might not seem like a long time if you exist outside of space and time, you know, but down here for the rest of us meet, that's a really long time. A really long time. After some five-ish thousand years, God enters the world as a baby, grown in the womb of human mother, enters the world through the birth canal, which... That is theologically beautiful. God, God, the creator, is born into the world, vulnerable, helpless, utterly dependent on God's own creation, us human people, now fallen and flawed. It is the undoing of the world's notion of what power is, this way that God enters the world. It is the deconstruction of the myth of the God of violence and wrath. God enters the world through the birth canal of his mother and then exits through the sky? That's a different vibe. I mean, ascends, rises up towards heaven, is taken up and disappears. Disappears taken up and disappears into the clouds? What's good about that? What, how, did, how, did, how does that help us? I mean, what happened to Emmanuel, God with us? God, what is the, I don't know what the uh, you know, Greek is for God's got to get going soon. You know, what about ever happened to like our God is, is for us, is with us? Our God you know, is, is with us in a taco, whatever it is, incarnitas. What happened to down-to-earth, our down-to-earth God? That's right, down-to-earth, right? That's what people say, down-to-earth. It's a compliment, right? Oh, she's great, real down-to-earth. A compliment. Now, if you say, you know, salt of the earth... That means not very smart. But down to earth, that is a compliment. Um, now, no one ever says up to heaven, right? Oh, you really like him. He's real up toward heaven kind of guy. You know, they don't, people don't say that. No, they say he has his head in the clouds. 
not a compliment. You know, they say, oh, it's up in the air. Not a good thing, you know? The Feast of the Ascension? Why are we celebrating? What are we celebrating? I mean, I realize God isn't just one thing, one kind of way. God's incarnate, but also transcendent. God is with us in Jesus. And we also know that Jesus, the Word of God, was present before creation, was with God speaking creation into being. So I guess it makes sense that if Jesus wants to return to the presence of God who is outside of creation, Jesus can. And I guess if Jesus has to go, you know, I don't know. But, I mean, does it have to be in this glorious, miraculous way? Couldn't Jesus have gone another way, more, this more, like, in character? Couldn't Jesus have, like, walked into the desert? And that's the last we saw him? Couldn't Jesus have walked up into the mountains like Moses did to meet God? Or what about, couldn't Jesus have maybe just like jumped into the water and gone down? You know, he was on boats a lot with the disciples. He was always on boats. This whole last scene, could, you could just re, recast the whole thing and reshoot it on a boat. Easily, this whole thing could take place on a boat. They could all be on a boat way out in the middle of the water. Maybe there's a little bit of a storm. You know how they do. And the text would read something like, at the time in the boat, the disciples asked of him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus replied, it is not for you to know the time. The Holy Spirit will come soon and help you get back to shore. And then he jumped into the water and swam straight down towards the bottom of the abyss until the murky waters obscured him from their sight. That's different. That's something different. I mean, come on, that is not bad. Instead of going up into the sky, out past the limits of the universe, he goes down, further down, into the earth. I mean, wouldn't you like to know those dark nights of the soul, that when you are staring down into the waters, into the abyss, that Jesus is down in there somewhere? That Jesus went down there first? But no, Jesus goes up gloriously and mightily and miraculously up towards heaven. And by the way, it only looks glorious if you're not standing directly below Jesus when he ascends because of the robe, and I'm not sure about the undergarment situation. I just don't think that's how you want to remember your Savior. You know, of course, there might be other ways of interpreting this whole situation, interpreting this text. I know that it is possible there are people who prefer looking up towards heaven instead of staring down into the abyss. I don't know many of them, but... Some folks, you know, they they might find it more reassuring to hear that Jesus will return on a cloud than to know that he is present somewhere down in the murk of the abyss. 
I mean, maybe there are even times when you and I need a little bit more faces towards the sky instead of staring down at the abyss. You know, maybe there, there might be a way to knit this sweater back together. I think the thread to start, or the yarn to begin with, is in the disciples' question to Jesus just before he, Jesus jumps into the water or ascends to heaven, if we're going to go with the original. They ask him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? See, when they ask this question, they are still thinking that Jesus was the new King David who came to restore the nation of Israel to be the powerful kingdom that it was before all the defeats and the exiles. After all that time with Jesus, witnessing his healings and teachings, seeing him tortured, put to death by Rome, seeing him resurrected, their hope was still in the restoration of their nation, of their people, that their nation would be brought out from under their conquerors, and that Jesus would reign as their mighty king. But here's where the turn is. I mean, it might be the Achilles heel, but it might be this transformation, this moment of recreation, because Jesus is teaching them something new. In the same way that God created the world in those six days and then turned it over to humanity to continue God's creation, which maybe didn't go as planned, God has come to live among us, to heal humanity, to heal all of God's creation, not just those in front of him, not just his historic children, the nation of Israel. He's saying, no, I didn't come to just restore the kingdom. He said, you're going to be my witnesses to the whole world, to everyone, far beyond Israel, everyone. I'm coming to heal all of God's creation, to bring this new commandment of radical mercy and love, to not only show us how to live in love to restore the world, but the Messiah comes to make it eternally possible for us to live out that commandment, to live through that commandment, to walk in that love and reconciliation. So the disciples, they ask him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom? And he replied, that's not for you to know, but the Holy Spirit will come and empower you to do a much bigger thing, a much greater thing. He wants to empower us with the ability to love in the same way that's transformative, that's reconciling, that's healing. Jesus wants us to do this because when we love the other, we are healed. When we show mercy to them, we receive mercy. And this is how we can work to restore not just our people, not just those like us, but the whole world. But I'm telling you, this can't happen if we're looking up in the clouds, looking up to find help come down from the sky. Because the answer is already here with us how to live this way. The answer is here with us in creation, on the earth, 
in the abyss with Jesus. I mean, we don't need things to be worked out in the clouds in the beautiful blue sky. I mean, that doesn't need reconciling. That's that. The things that needs reconciling are down in the abyss, down in the darkness. The Hebrew word that's used here means abyss or primordial waters, or it's the chaos that all creation came from in the beginning, that abyss, out of which order and all things came. It also refers down in the sea, down deep, deep in the ocean. And in most Hebrew mythology, that abyss represents a kind of chaos, but also a power, a mysterious power, that which is unknown, actually maybe down there below the surface, that which is uh, out of our control, that which is dangerous perhaps, even scary. The things that we need reconciled, most all the things that we need restored and healed are not out in the open under the blue sky with sun shining on them. The things that we need reconciled, that we need healed, are below the surface, down in the darkness, in the abyss. The things that we can't fully see, some things that we don't even know about that are lurking down there. Those are the things that we need to have reconciled. Let this be your spiritual practice. To each day, take a moment to stare into the abyss. Look into that murky abyss. Look into the possibility of nothingness, of your own nothingness. Look into the murky unknown. Look deep into your fear, into your lack of control and understanding. Stare into that abyss, but all the while knowing that that which you fear, that which you do not know, that's which you cannot see, has been made non-toxic by the creator of the universe. That that is where our Messiah dwells, in those deep places that we don't know. All that we fear and don't know has been reconciled. Today, when we come and share this meal together, look into the abyss of that cup. Look down into it and take that body of Christ and plunge it in there. And then eat it. Mm -hmm.